0: Well, on Wednesday, the battery of my van died, and I was at the gym, and so I was all sweaty, because that's the reason I go to the gym, just to get sweaty, so I do whatever will get me the sweatiest the fastest, and then I leave. That's my gym time. And so I left, and I was covered, I was all sweaty, and I got in the van, this is at Club 16, so I was parked up on the roof, and um, the van, it died, and it wasn't turning over, and it had already been acting weird, sluggish, because in the ferry lineup this summer, we, we ended up stuck in the ferry line, and all the cars started to go, and it also did the same, and the guy had to run out and try to charge us, and the charging machine well, it didn't have enough to, to charge the van, so we had to run and get something else. It was super embarrassing. We were those people out there. Yeah, go around us. Yeah, we're the ones who left our car running, or our battery on. And so I already knew I was, I was having battery trouble, Anyway, so I sat was sitting in the car, and then I thought, oh, I have my jumper cables, so I'm good. This will be no problem. And I even backed in. So I was like, this is perfect. And all these people circling around the roof looking for parking, I just need one of them to stop. And so I went back, I got my jumper cables, popped the hood, and then I stood out from my van, like out on the roadway, and I, was, I just held my jumper cables like this. Because I was so sure that... Someone was going to help me. And people were driving, and they would make eye contact with me, and then they would look away, and then they would drive around and park somewhere else, and then the next person. And I kept being like, hey. And I, I didn't know whether to like get in front of the car and stop them, like a policeman or something, but I thought that was too much. So I just waved the jumper cables, and they just kept going around. Eventually, the, the spaces filled up on the roof. And so then I was sure someone was going to stop because they would want my space. But they didn't. They drove around. They look at me, look at the jumper cables, and then they would look away and drive around. And then I saw the one guy. He drove down the ramp, like he was gonna go find a spot somewhere else. And I was so disillusioned. I was like, "What is? What does this world come to? That no one will just? It's like a two minute, one minute thing. I just. It's already. I'm already. And then finally, a lady came out of the gym and she would park next to me, so she couldn't get away from me. So then I just walked up to her and I held the jumper cables like, no. I said, would you be willing to give me a And She said, well, as long as you know what you're doing. I said, yes. And so she pulled out a little bit and I got my car jumped. But I think, like, what's the deal? Is everyone so busy that we can't, we can't help someone else? Or, like, we're so intent on going to the gym. Like, I can't miss a single minute of gym time to help someone else. Like, what's the deal? And yet I know that service, serving is a discipline. It's not an easy thing. And we started our September with a sermon series that's designed to challenge us called Discipline to Devotion. And last week we talked about how that's different than devoted to discipline. That would be a different thing. But this is Discipline to Devotion. And so we're talking about these challenging things that cause us to grow and, and walk. in. And last week, too, we talked about the dangers on either side. The one danger was um, that we're going to change by our willpower and our effort. That would be one way we could respond to the disciplines. I'm going to do it. I'm going to nail this down. And then on the other side, the danger would be God does everything. Just wait. Just wait, and he will change you. Nothing. Just don't do anything. Just don't. Just don't. And he will do it. And that's also a danger. And in between them was this path that... We talked about Richard Foster calling the path of disciplined grace. The path of disciplined grace. And that's kind of the way we're seeking to walk through these disciplines. And so today, we're talking about the discipline of service. Of service, or serving. And uh, I thought we would spring from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there with me, or I'm going to read it out for you. Um, Or if you have it on your phone, you can... Uh, Type that in. Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 to 11. This is what it says. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. This is God's word. We become like Christ in humbling ourselves to serve by his power. We become like Christ in humbling ourselves to serve by his power. Again, the same question as we answered last week why? Why rest was the question last week. And this week we have the same question. Why should we do this? Why should we serve? And if we don't know why, then it gets old really fast. Really fast. So we should know why. The first reason is that we would serve to follow his example serve to follow his example. There's a story in the, out of the American Revolution and there was this group of soldiers and they were repairing this barrier, a defensive barrier, and they were working really hard and you know, they'd stripped down and they were like, it was just really, really tough work. And the leader of these men was there and he was, he was yelling at them, encouraging, come on guys, do that over here. Yeah, grab that one over there. Yeah, put it up on top. Okay, good. Yeah, keep going, keep going. He, was just, he kept shouting at them what to do and, and this stranger rode by in a horse and he stopped and he looked at all this and he, he turned to the leader and he said, hey, why aren't you helping? And the leader was like, excuse me, don't you know that I'm a corporal? I, I'm leading. I, someone needs to lead. I'm leading. So that's what I'm doing. And the stranger was like, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I didn't know that. And so then the stranger kind of took his horse, tied it up, and got down off the horse and went and started helping these guys. Took off his shirt, you know, jacket. And so he helped them. And when the job was done, he came back and he said to the corporal, Hey, Corporal, just so you know, anytime you have a job like this, where you don't have enough people, or you, you know, you have something that needs to be done, just come, and, come to your commander-in-chief, come and get me, and I'll be glad to come and help. And it was George Washington who was there riding by. <laughs> Paul says, though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, I I thought for a long time, actually, that this word grasped was the same kind of word as like, you need power to grasp just how wide and long and deep, like you need power to understand how big the love of God is to grasp it. I thought that's kind of the same, like, you know, Jesus didn't count equality with God a thing to be understood, but that's not the word. The word isn't understood in the Greek. It means to take. Literally, actually, to seize or rob. If they were using this word in literature, it would be used to talk about seizing, stealing, robbing. The noun form is to plunder something. Jesus doesn't take or grasp or seize or steal or plunder. He lays down his rights. The rights he could claim. He lays them down. The story of this is John chapter 13. Where um, the disciples, Jesus' friends, they were arguing. And it was a common argument. It was an argument they had a lot of times. A lot of times. About who would be the greatest. And they, you know, this was their, uh, their discussion. Who would be the king who gets to sit on the right hand of Jesus? Who's going to be the vice president in the new kingdom to come? It's me. No, it's me. No, it's me. I should get it. I, who earned it? Who deserved it? This was the argument. And Jesus had talked into this argument a number of times. They'd be walking in the road and they'd be arguing. Jesus would say, What are you guys doing? What are you talking about? And they'd be like, Nothing. And then Jesus would say something like from Matthew 23:11, the greatest among you will be your servant, or Luke 9.48. For it is the one who is least among you, among you all, who is the greatest. Or Mark 9:35. This was a common argument. If anyone would be first, He must be the last of all and the servant of all. Jesus keeps talking into this argument. So it makes sense. I understand why Jesus finally loses his cool. Why he's finally had enough. Because it's the night he was betrayed. This is the night. The last supper. When his thoughts would drift at the last supper, you know what he's thinking about? He's thinking about the cup he would drink. Not of wine, but of wrath. And when he feels his stomach clench, it's because he's thinking about tomorrow, the day to come where death would happen, his suffering. This is what he's enduring, and his dirty, gritty feet from Jer- a Jerusalem day. And they're arguing. And so when it starts up again, Jesus just has had enough. And so he takes off his outer garment, and he fills a bowl with water, and he takes the towel and wraps it around himself. And then he begins to wash their feet. This is the lowest servant job. Slowly rubbing the dust and grime. Now remember, they're all reclining at the table, so their feet are out behind them. And they're kind of at the table like, Jesus could have just started doing this and wouldn't even notice at first. Oh, the servant's washing my feet. Wait, it's Jesus. All of them. Even Peter, who refuses at first. Even the one who betrays him. Jesus washes their feet. And when Jesus is done washing their feet, this is what he says. Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. And if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Jesus says, I just gave you an example. And if you're not better than me, the one you call Lord and teacher, then you should do this too. So we serve to follow his example. Secondly, we serve for the mission. Jesus tells his disciples they should copy and imitate, and reproduce, and replicate his example, and us, too, that we should do this. And Jesus was on a mission. He's not just serving to serve, because it's fun, or because, you know, he's going to teach them a good lesson. There's something to it. He serves to redeem humanity. This is the mission he's on. This is his, his intention, and his purpose. And Paul writes, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient To the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus empties himself, obedient to death, while the, I'm the greatest, disciples take off and run. Are you the greatest? No, I'm the greatest. And they all run away. And Jesus is left there, obedient to death, giving himself, because he's on a mission to save the world. The cup he drinks is to save the world. That's why he's enduring all this. And I think we don't serve sometimes because we, we forget the mission. We say, I don't even remember what it is. I don't remember what we're doing. I just am here doing this over and over, and I'm kind of done. I'm tired, so I'm just going to stop. And if we lose sight of the mission, then serving just becomes this drudge. We started Jubilee two and a half years ago, or a little more than two and a half years ago. We started Jubilee for a reason, because we wanted the most people possible to the opportunity to encounter Jesus. And we believe that by coming and meeting here in this space, instead of 10 minutes down the road, yes, 10 minutes down the road is our mother church of 3,000, so they could afford to give a few away. Oh, no, wait. 250. Why would we do this? Because we wanted the most people possible to have the opportunity to encounter Jesus. That's why we do set up and tear down. That's why we have Jubilee kids. And that's why we run a nursery. And that's why we have baked goods. Because people want baked goods. And that's why they become a Christian. No, but they'll stay. But they stay. And talk, maybe. Our heart is that Maple Ridge would be transformed. As we are planted here as we do the work God's called us to do, that transformation would happen, not just in this neighborhood, but in this city. And out of this city in the Fraser Valley, and out of the Fraser Valley in British Columbia, and out of British Columbia in Canada, and then all across the world, right? Isn't that what we hope? What we want? I hope so. And thirdly, serving is an outflow of a changed life. Paul says this, he says, if there is any, and he said, then he says, so if there's any Encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, any sympathy, if any of these things are true, then be of one mind. Serve together. Have the mind of Christ. If our lives have been illuminated by the good news, if Jesus really lives in my heart and is bringing transformation to my life, then I will serve. And when you see and understand your identity in Jesus, in Christ, then things change. Things change. You're able to serve. There's a story of missionaries from a long time ago, back when they went to Cannibal Islands, which just doesn't happen as much anymore. Sadly, I kind of, as a teenager, I hoped to be able to do that, but... They don't do that very much anymore. Anyway, James Calvert was one of those missionaries. And he went to the Fiji Islands. And the islands he was called to go to were cannibal islands. And so as he went with his, his crew of missionaries, the captain of the ship tries to discourage him or dissuade him from going. And he says to, to James, um, you're going to lose your life and the lives of everyone you're going with if you go among those savages. They will kill you and they will eat you. And, and uh, James replies, it doesn't matter because we died before we got here. We died before we even left. That's the picture. We died in Christ, and our new life is a life that is in Christ. My life is hidden in him. Jesus, John writes, knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God, and was returning to God. And then he washed their feet. That's, what John, that's how John introduces that story. He says Jesus knew the father. He knew where he, was, where he was coming from. And he knew where he was going. And then he could wash their feet. And then he could give his life as a ransom for many. Because he knew what he was about. It was the outflow of who he was. And his life in God. And we need to learn to serve. Again, these are things we need to learn. There's a saying that goes, uh, every church is filled with willing people. Some willing to work, and others willing to let them. And some of you right away say, yes, that's right. Yes, yeah, preach it, John. That's right. And some of you are like, well, that's not totally fair. I don't know if that's fair That statement, and we have these differing feelings about these kinds of statements, right? And the the challenge is, anytime we talk about service, it's a touchy subject, or disciplines at all. They're touchy subjects, because we have feelings about it. Maybe for some of you, uh, you experience the fear of being walked all over, becoming a doormat. Or maybe you've experienced that in life, where you said, I'm going to serve, I'm going to serve. And then someone walked all over you, over and over and over, until finally you're like, okay, I'm done. Or maybe you feel the pressure to serve when you're exhausted and worn out. And you're like, oh, wow, yeah, great. A a sermon on service, super. Because I'm so worn out, this is just what I needed. And so I need to be clear that this is not about doing more jobs. Doing more things. There's a difference between choosing to serve and choosing to be a servant. Richard Foster says it like this. Service is not a list of things to do, though in it we discover things to do. It's not a code of ethics. It is a way of living. It's a way of living. So stop thinking about service as like a job you need to accomplish. Oh, I need to do my service time now. Oh, I'm glad I did my service. Now I feel better. I'm going to go watch TV because I did my service. Stop thinking about it like it's a job you're going to accomplish and start thinking about it like it's a way of living, like it's a lifestyle that you embrace. There's this story of a great violinist. Um, his name's Niccolo Paganini. And um, as he was getting old, he willed his amazing violin to Genoa, but only on the condition that the instrument wouldn't be played. So he said, I'll give you my special violin that's part of who I am as a master musician, musician, but I I'm not giving it to you so other people can play it. It's my, my violin, and I'd like it to be put there as mine for all posterity. That's why he was giving it, really. And so he did that, but the problem was that no one really knew was that the kind of wood that that violin was made out of um, had this weird thing about it that as long as it was used and handled, then it um, showed little wear. But when it was put to the side and, and untouched and unused, it actually began to decay. And so today, if you saw it, this exquisite mellow-toned violin has become worm-eaten. And it's beautiful case, and it's totally valueless, except as a relic. This is just like us. Just like us. We were made to serve. We are made to serve God. We're made to serve in this world, to do a job for God in the world. And when we set it aside and we say, no, 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 I'm done that. Now, that was the first part of my life. Now I'm, I'm in a different part. We, we begin to decay. And you'll know that if you've tried to set it aside, that you feel this emptiness, this decay, this worminess in your life. And it's because you were made to serve. You were made to be part of this, but not in the old way, not in a religious duty sense. So, Romans 7 6 says, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. (sighs) Yay! And not in the old way of the written code. That's beautiful. We're not trying to serve out of some religious obligation to try to keep a law that God gave. We're doing it in a new way, out of relationship with the Spirit who's walking with us and leading us in life. And so we change our view from earthly rights and acclaim, having died to that old thing, and we fix our gaze on Jesus, gaining power from his spirit to live in a new way, to serve in a new way. And so we need to learn how to live servant lives. That's really the challenge. And if we limit serving to just practical jobs, we've really made something very narrow, which actually is a lot wider implications in our lives. Service is a lot wider than just jobs, just things we do, although it does include that. Things like there's a service to listening, to listening. Listening to someone is an act of service to quiet your mind and your responses. And you're, oh, that reminds me of a story. Okay, I can't wait till I can interject this story into this, this conversation. And instead to learn to listen and to serve one another in listening. You know how many people need someone just to listen? That's an act of service. Or hospitality. Opening our homes is a sacrifice to invite and to eat and to host one another. We say, oh, I'm too busy. Oh, my house is this, all this, all that. And it's hard. It's hard to do. It's an act of service to be hospitable to one another. The service of burden-bearing. Some people say, oh, I I don't know what I do. I don't know where my service is or my gift. There's some of you who bear burdens. You hear news and, oh, wow, you just take it on. Even this week, we were sharing with Lauren, and and the burden of the grief she carried and she brought before the throne. Burden bearing is an act of service. We carry griefs as a community, and we bring them before the Lord in prayer. And that's an act of service that we do for one another. We mourn with one another. We rejoice with one another. We bear burdens. The act or the the service of speaking life, or we could say speaking truth or speaking the word, that as we receive from the Lord, so we go to the Lord and we receive life-giving things, and then it's an act of service to go and share it with someone. To go and say, hey, I was really encouraged by this word in my life. And I wanted to encourage you with it. And we share things together. That's an act of service that we do for one another as we encourage one another in the Lord. And we learn to serve by doing practical jobs too. And so there's practical things that need to be done that we need to engage in to help teach us about this heart of service. There's nothing easy or convenient about it. In the church there's lots of opportunities to serve, and especially on a Sunday morning, there's lots of opportunities to serve. And so we have have Sunday service teams, they're called. And right now, we have a setup team that could use 10 more people. Now, Jaden, is Jaden even here? Is he here today? He's up, okay, he's serving somewhere else. Well, good for him. Jaden is our setup team leader, which he's been from the very beginning, so this is great, he's not here, I can talk about him. Um, Jaden has served so faithfully in that role and you know what? It's a thankless role, right? You know how many people see that? Not many people. And Jaden wrote me a letter and he said, I'd love to share this letter with the church and just encourage people to, to be part of the team in any way. Like we just need more people really. And we've got right now, we've got four people and four people. We've got two and we really could use three teams. If we had 10 more people, that'd be awesome. And then he had all these things of like maybe we can make it easier, maybe we could do this, maybe we could do that. You know what? Let's serve. Show up at eight o'clock. Breakfast is served at 9.15 over there, Continental Breakfast with coffee and tea, and then we pray together at 9:30. It's not a hard job. It's just people need to come and do it. And so if you would like to si- set, sign up for Setup Team, the email's setup at jubileemr.com, or you could talk to Jaden. Or we've got Jubilee kids. Jubilee Kids, again, Rebecca's talking to me. She's like, I think we can cover all the gaps and do this. We need four more people. If we had four more people serving in the nursery, getting your baby fix, and a criminal record check fix, since everyone loves to do that, and I should say for nursery that we need to know you and have a relationship with you already, but man, these are areas that we need people to serve in, to jump in. Or, of course, there's lots of other areas too hospitality, welcome team, communion, prayer, the AV. There's all sorts of places that you could serve depending on your gifts or your areas of interest. And I want to encourage you not just to say, oh, I could sub on that team. Because Jaden won't say this, but I'll say this. If you agree to sub on a team, that's good, but if there's not enough people for the team, then subs don't, then we'll just put the subs on the team. You'd be like, why am I subbing once a month? Be like, well, that's how it works, <laughs> I guess. I want to encourage you to commit because even in the commitment, oh, there's a, there's a pain to it. And there's Jubilee Connected Service. So there's ways that Jubilee as a group is connecting in our community. One of those ways is we serve Breakfast Club here at Maple Ridge Secondary School because this is our school. And so we as a group give money. I don't know if you know this. I give it on our behalf. (laughs) Surprise! No. We're giving money to the breakfast club that meets here in this school because we want them to know we're not just a church that's like, hey, we're over here, yeah, don't bug us with anything. We're like, no, we want to be part of this. And so there's opportunity to come and serve and make food on Tuesday and Thursday. I'm telling the lady, Jubilee's going to be there because we care about this stuff. Or the homeless meals. So we we started calling it Feed the Hungry. I started calling it Feed the Hungry so that it would help me because there's all the political wrestle with the homeless camp and homeless people and why they're homeless and all the different things and how do we best solve that problem. And at the end of the day, I don't know. I don't know. But we do know that there's hungry people who need a meal. And so we said, let's not try to solve all the problems. Let's just feed hungry people. And so we started doing that. So I think we're, I think we're up for Wednesday and Fridays. That um, we have people in our in our group who are going and serving meals. If you want to make meals, or if you want to take the meal and serve it, if you want to make and take, we've got lots of options for being able to bring a hot meal down for people. And there's city renewal service. So things we do that aren't a group thing, but they're things we do. So. You know, I'm a soccer coach. My kids, my sons are in soccer. So I said, why don't I coach soccer? And I have relationship with families. And I have relationship with kids that I'm building in the community. And my goal is to make our community better. So where has God called you to serve? What it means? Is that your kid's school? Is it, maybe it's on a council or on a board or on in a volunteer organization. There's Timberline and there's women care and there's lots and lots of places. We could be part of things to make our city better. That's a city renewal vision that we have. So where has God already put you? What's in your heart to be part of? Because wherever you are, Jubilee is there. Because we're gathered and then we scatter. You're still Jubilee when we're scattered. We are Jubilee. And my third point is that, again, we'll need to be led. To devotion. And if service is meant to lead us to devotion and not to more religious duty and baggage or burnout, then there's some things we need to know maybe and talk about as we think about that. The first one is that service is going to hurt. It's going to (laughs) hurt. Yay, that was a great point. Richard Foster says, Nothing disciplines the inordinate desires of the flesh like service. Or, service is where the flesh goes to die. Jonathan Hedley said that. (laughs) I really wanted to quote myself. Because it sounds more important when you put it up as a quote, doesn't it? I was reading this week and there was a blogger who just kept quoting himself. I was like, this is a bit weird that you're doing this. So I thought I would do it and see if it was weird. You can tell me after. (laughs) I think that's true though. (laughs) Service is not convenient or fun, or easy. That's why it's a discipline. Who ever liked discipline? Anyone growing up? Did you, you like discipline? No one ever. I love discipline. That was my favorite day of the week, discipline day. Like no one ever says that. Hebrews twelve eleven says, "For the moment, all discipline." I agree. I agree. All discipline seems painful. Rather than pleasant. But later. Later. It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. To those who have been trained by it. Service disciplines the flesh. Which is not pleasant. But it does produce a harvest later. Something happens in our lives. Secondly. No one is exempt. No one is exempt. Bernard of Clairvaux says, Learn the lesson that if you are to do the work of a prophet, what you need is not a scepter, but a hoe. I love that. I'm going to put that on my wall. You want to be a prophet? I'm a prophet. Good. Here's the hoe. Let's see you work. Let's see you serve. Because that's what we're doing, that's what this is about. There's a show called Undercover Boss. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I, I watched a couple episodes, I think a few years ago. It was, it was on right after the Super Bowl one year. And so I watched, I think, the very first episode. And the very first episode was about um, the president of waste management. So this garbage disposal company, he decided he was going to go undercover and work as, a, as the lowest person on the totem pole in the company to get a sense of, how You know, the company issues and dynamic and everything. So he did. He took off his suit and hung it up, and then he put on this, these coveralls, and he went and he collected garbage for the day or for a couple days or whatever it was. I don't even remember. I just remember how funny the show was, that here's this guy, and he's there learning about the true the reality of what people go through in his company, not from his boardroom table, but from being on the ground, serving. And if you think somehow that your gifts are higher, They have a. there's some higher form of leadership that they deserve, or maybe that you've outgrown service, like, oh yeah, that was the first part, now I'm on to bigger, more meaningful things. I just want to point you again to the master who says, if this is me on the day before I'm going to be killed, then it's not too small for you to do, for all of us. And thirdly, that I believe service is a sure path to happiness, which is strange after all the other things I just said. But I do believe it, that service is a sure path to happiness. Albert Schweitzer said this, I don't know what your destiny will be, but I know one thing. The ones among you who will be really happy are those who have sought and found how to serve. So it's not just like doing a job. It's sought and found how to serve. And I thought, that's, I think that's true. I think that's true. Humility, this greatest of Christian virtues, is so often talked about as something we do, we choose. James says, humble yourself. Like, that's the better option for you to humble yourself than for God to humble you. Humble yourself, and then he will exalt you. And if we humble ourselves, if we choose to enter into a life of service— Things will happen in our life. Things will change. Things will shift. Now, if you're like me, you read the verses where Paul kind of describes here, I think, what service is meant to be like. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I I look at that and I think, that's a pretty good description of service especially in this context, Paul's laying it out here. And as I read this, I kind of feel hopeless, actually. And maybe some of you do too. Maybe you read the list and you're like, oh, yes, that's so good. And then you're like, oh, wait, that's so hard. Wow. And I do read it and sometimes I feel hopeless because I look at the list and I think, do nothing from selfish ambition. I think, I do everything from selfish ambition. I'm always thinking about what's in it for me. I'm always, even the things that I do that are the most humble, I'm always like, yeah, maybe that'll get noticed. And I'll get some, you know, credit, or at least I'll get it in heaven, some heaven credit, right? And, and that's what, I'm motivated by selfishness, selfish ambition. Or count others more significant, I feel like, man, that's so hard. I will say, oh, I count everyone more significant, but I'm always like, yes, me, me, me. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, so, I'm the most important one here. Right? Or look to the interests of others. I have a hard enough time taking care of my own interests. I'm like, I can't take care of you. I can't even take care of me. So i got to work on me first. I'm taking care of me. Then I'll take care of you. But that doesn't seem to happen. It's the problem. And so as I reflect on this, as I look at it and I struggle with it, I realize, I recognize how service leads me to devotion. Do you know how? Because I can't do it alone. I can't do it alone. Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That's a mind. Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. The mind of Christ, so the ability for me to empty myself, and to humble myself, is already mine because of Jesus. Jesus enables me to do that. It's just like the, the next couple verses in Philippians, this is what Paul writes. He says in Philippians 2, 12, and 13, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Scary verse. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The next verse is so great. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's the same thing. Have the mind of Christ, which is yours already in Jesus. Work out your salvation, because God's already working it in you. It's like, whoa, are these things in tension? How does that work? It's a beautiful thing, and it answers for us this strange way to word it, that we are working our salvation, and God is working it in us. We are doing something, and God is doing something. There's a story of a guy named Ray in Ohio, and it was stormy like we just had to storm and there was flooding, and so he was standing at his breakfast window, looking out the window, eating his breakfast, and the, the, there was a big culvert, a flood drain out in front of his house that was quite deep, and it was full of water, rushing water, almost like a little river, and as he stood there looking out the window, he watched as a girl suddenly was swept along in the current, and his heart leapt because he knew that not very far down the road, that whole storm drain, that big, huge, deep culvert, the, all the water that runs in that culvert runs down underground shortly. And so he dropped his breakfast and he ran out the door and he ran down the street and he caught up to the girl and saw it coming. And he jumped into the water and grabbed hold of her and they were swept along. It was so deep. And then suddenly, only a couple meters from this, where it goes underground, he grabbed hold of a tree root. And then he's holding her and the water's pouring over him and holding over her. And he's just holding onto this tree root and he's just like, if I can just hold on, it's going to be Okay. And the water's pouring over him. He's just holding on to her and he's holding on to this root. And eventually help did come and they pulled them out. He saved her life. And so the Coast Guard awarded him with, or whatever it's called, it's called the Coast Guard um, medal, life-saving silver medal. And they awarded it to Ray, who really deserved it because Ray doesn't know how to swim. He doesn't know how to swim. He's jumping in the water. He doesn't even know how to swim. You guys, this is us. Well, I mean, we're jumping in, we don't what? I don't. We don't know what we're doing. I, we don't know how to do this. But we're not alone. That's how it drives us to devotion. We have to grab hold of Jesus to be able to do any of this and walk it out with him. To love, to give of ourselves, to forgive, to listen, to pray, to care, to serve. How are we going to do any of that? Because of Jesus. See, service leads us to devotion because the more we do it, the more we find we can't do it alone. And then as your flesh dies and as your comfort groans and as your pride chafes and as you trust just a little more, you grow. Suddenly you grow. We become like Christ in humbling ourselves to serve by his power. So I have a couple questions as we close for you. First, why do you serve? Why do you serve if you do? Is it for acknowledgement or recognition or job experience or promotion? Jesus set the example and the mission is before us. Secondly, where are you learning to serve? Where is it hard? Where is it chafing? Where are you serving in the church or serving in the community? Where has God called you? To serve and to learn what that looks like in your life. And thirdly, does your service lead you to devotion? Or is it just a drudge, a duty? Because it's meant to lead you to devotion, to relationship, to encounter more of Jesus. Because you can't do it alone. Let's pray.